tattoos have become more of a normal part of society and you know one of the things that's a common mistake that people do is they just go anywhere you know closest place maybe whatever's convenient and a lot of times they get a piece of art that stays on them forever that maybe they don't like so much so let me help you and eliminate that problem go see jeff lee watts Easy Flea Tattoos. You can find them on Facebook or Instagram, and you can find him at 1731 Dancy Boulevard in Horn Lake. Number is 662-280-0763. I know something you don't, that's me coming for you. You want war, we got war, we just want to warn you. What's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, my partner in crime, my brother from another mother, Jim Cross. And Jim, tonight is episode 17, titled Iron Sharpens Iron, because tonight we're talking to Mississippi State commit Brock Tapper and his brother, young and -and up-and-coming coach, Hayden Tapper. But before Brock and Hayden join us, Jim, it's a new year resolutions are in the air tell me what you got what's on deck for the 2022 well we talked about it once i got 75 hard done the first time we said when the new year came around it was time to take it to 75 hard advance so here we are day one in the books with that you know we have truvy as a sponsor and i'm using their supplements to help me along the way so no, come talk to us. We'll get, we'll get you hooked up. And if you need somebody to help you along the way, you need somebody who can teach you the way, Austin Griffin over at Club 4 in Hernando. That's our guy, so go see him. Man, between 75 hard, Truvy, and Austin Griffin at Club 4, it there's, there's no better recipe to start the new year off right, man. Get your resolutions in check. Don't don't think of it as as a, a minor change. It's a lifestyle change. It's a life change. It's something that could revamp you and change you for years to come, man. We talk about it all the time. We don't do it for ourselves. We do it for our family. We want to have longevity. We want to be there for those special moments um, that our family has, man. And, and no better time to, to start with those guys now. But speaking of those guys now. Jim, we got two special ones coming on, man, and I don't want to push them off any further, so let's get right to it. Help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview in podcasting this week. Our boys, Mississippi State commit Brock Tapper and the young and -and up-and-coming coach Hayden Tapper. All right, Hayden, Brock, my man, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. How about yourself? We are blessed and we are thankful as always. It's a new year. We're starting off the new year strong with you guys. And, you know, before we get into the interview and the baseball, um, you know, Hayden, I, I want to congratulate you, man. I heard you just got married. Is that true? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Got married back in August and loving every bit of it. 
Hey, man, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Just remember, communication is the key. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Yes, sir. Um, with that, you know, I always wonder when, when, when we have people on, and obviously Brock was in the wedding, who looked better in a tux, you or him? Because I'm hearing there's some dispute over who, who looked more fly at this wedding. Oh, then, there, is, there is no dispute. Brock rolled in looking like a prom king. Had the the Mr. G sunglasses on. Uh, he was feeling himself that day. And I think afterwards, when he looked back at pictures, I think he kept zooming into himself more than anything. I, you know, right. you know, Brock, it's it's a shame that you guys steal your brother's day like that. I swear. It's a shame, you know. I told him before we got it, I said, look, just letting you know. If I'm going to dress up, I'm going to do it to win. Be the best. So. Hey, you, hey! It, at least you told them you were bringing it, and you did. You, you backed up what you were gonna, what you were gonna do. So I, I can respect that, um, you know. But guys, let's let's get into this. Obviously, with with all the athletes that we have come on, the first thing that we like to do is dig deep into their backstory, get a little bit about where you guys are from, how you grew up, um, you know. And Hayden, I'll I'll let you lead it. You know, where are you guys from? What city? Is it a big city, small city? Give me, give me some, some info about that. Give me the background. So uh, we're from ne uh, Nesbitt, Mississippi, and um, grew up there. Uh, lived a little bit in um, South Haven with, with my mom before moving in with my dad. Um, we, we grew up there, ran the streets. Um, Family-wise, a huge family. Um, I've got uh, my parents are divorced, so Brock's on one side and got brothers on the other side as well. And all athletes um, all came through DeSoto Central. Um, Gabe Moore is the oldest brother on my mom's side, holds the three-point record at DeSoto Central in basketball. Um, Garrett Moore is uh, following in the, in the footsteps of being an athlete. Um, is a wide receiver on the football team, and I think he just joined the track team as well. Um, then on the other side, you've got you've got Brock, who's going to lead that team to to the great um, great season with with how he pitches and, and how he dominates on the mound. And then uh, you got little man Easton bringing up the rear, who's probably going to be the better athlete out of all of us. Brock, yeah. let me let me ask you, man, like. It's a big family, and, and the dynamics are a little bit different being, you know, a, a divorced family, and you got two sides, but you got a lot of people. Is the family cohesive? Is it, is it strong? Is, it, it, is everybody in line? Like, you guys get along? Like, I could imagine there being difficulty. I have one kid, and I find it difficult to have it all mesh and be fluid. I can only imagine when you got such a big family with different components going into it but Brock tell me a little bit about that growing up with you know two different sides coming together and and how do you stay cohesive and strong um at first it was kind of hard because like it when until Hayden moved in with us it was like okay well he's, he's over there more is it because he like liked them more or whatever but eventually we started well me and Garrett were always in school together so we always saw each other and then one we just started like 
playing PlayStation together and stuff like that. And then our families the past two years, three years have been going to a Christmas Eve service and stuff, doing stuff together. So it's really easy now. But young, when I was younger, it was kind of hard. But now that I'm older and see things, I know, and it's really not hard to get along with them. Pretty yeah. easy. Yeah. So, so Hayden, you mentioned you got three brothers play baseball. I can imagine like the the rallying point that everyone like the one thing that everyone had in common was sports. It seemed like, and especially baseball, for the brothers. Did your dad play, or who? pushed you in the direction of baseball or was it something that you guys just you did and you liked or you just kept doing it so I think I think growing up um my stepdad David Moore and and my dad both played um a little bit of baseball growing up um my stepdad ended up joining a band so he kind of stepped away from baseball because you know that that takes up a lot of time being in a band and stuff like that and he's a, a heck of a drummer um my dad, on the other hand, kind of stuck with the baseball, went through the time uh, with Coach Williams at South Haven, um, played football as well. Um, and honestly, I think it was just one of those things where being the oldest brother, um, played basketball, played baseball, played flag football. And one thing that you just could not get out of my hand was a baseball bat. Um, and I think growing up just – living that out to, you know, okay, well, I'm playing all three of these sports. Now let's just focus on two. And then kind of going up that road through middle school where I dropped the basketball, played, played baseball and football. And then at the end of, or when I started getting recruited, I guess, in uh, sophomore year of high school, junior year of high school, I was like, um, okay, well, I need to focus on baseball. If I want to be good at baseball, I need to focus all of my attention on it. And then I guess was the that rest a, is history. Well, was that a decision that someone sat down with you and, and had to make, or you knew that that was what was best for you to pursue athletics moving forward? I think, uh, I think the biggest thing is, and, and you always look back at it, um, especially as, as a coach where you're just around athletics 24 seven, um, it was definitely a decision that I made, um, internally and then kind of talked with my dad about it and let them know that, Hey, I'm going to focus all my attention on baseball. Um, I love football, uh, dearly. I think that, that two sport athletes are, um, or multi-sport athletes are, are really common and it should be a big thing. Um, I get the towards the end of your your high school career, maybe even college career, that that you choose one or the other. Um, I understand that, but I think that there's so many things that you can do to to teach yourself as an athlete first, rather than a baseball player or a football player. Just learn how to be athletic, and I think that that helps you along the way throughout your career. Absolutely. So, Brock, having this family with a bunch of baseball players, you know, dads playing baseball, brothers playing baseball. Everybody seems like is, is walking around with baseballs in their hands, gloves on their, on their hands, you know, cleats and bats. But um, what was it like? I mean, 
or was that the driving influence and encouragement that you needed to pursue baseball and to be at the level that you're at now? Um, actually, when I was little, so my dad always made me play, and I was I started playing when I was two because he made me play up, and I would go sit in the outfield on t- when we went to Snowden for t-ball tournaments. I'd go sit in the outfield and play in the grass. Uh, couldn't absolutely kind of buys playing baseball and I'd try to go sit in the dugout he'd pick me up take me out there sit me on the field and it was just a back and forth back and forth thing and then we started I was like I just don't like t-ball and so then I started playing coach pitch and I got more into it and every like I just, as, as I worked up I got more into it and now like I wouldn't want to do anything else. I could look back. I played football in middle school. I mean, I started, but I really wasn't in it. Into it, I get I wasn't the biggest, so I get knocked around a lot. And then I played basketball for a year in middle school. Didn't really like it. And then I made the baseball team in eighth grade. And from then on, it was just like – didn't want to do anything else. Strictly just stuck to baseball. Don't yeah, let him downplay it, Daniel. He ain't a small kid at all. He's he's tall and broad. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can see see him from the video. Like the the listeners won't be able to see this, but like he lengthwise he takes up the full frame. So like it's very rare. Like I take up half the frame. Jim takes up half the frame. His shoulders take up most of the frame. But. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, everybody's a, a regular guy, but you could tell, like, he's got some length on him. But, you know. Yeah, he, I didn't really hit my growth spurt until, like, 10th grade, though. But that, like, I used to be – I mean, I was a decent size, but f- for football, I just got knocked around constantly. They, they say that you got to deliver the hit. You can't wait to get hit. So, um, you know, but it, it seems like – you know, given where you're at currently, it seems like baseball is the right move. But Hayden, I, I got to revert back to you, man, because you're more seasoned. You're a coach. You have a different lens at which you look at, at players now. So I'll, I'll ask you, who's the best athlete in your family? Best athlete? Best athlete. If I had to go with best athlete, just all around. It would probably be Gabe. Just because. Brock, Brock, what do you you think? I can do anything. (laughs) You you go bowl, I'll go bowl. You want to go shoot, shoot, play tennis, I'll play tennis. Anything I do, I'm going to be good at it. You you know, what's what's funny about that, Hayden, is, is that's a typical senior in high school answer to the question, believing in their self, you give me the coach's lens and analytically looking, you know, past the me and you look at the whole picture and he gives me the right now, which is, his know, answer is was his answer was the exact same way Cameron James came off. I, I don't care what sport it is. I'll beat you. Exactly. I mean, that's Kim. Hayden, Hayden can't lie. When we play anything we do, I'm either going to win or it's going to be a really close game. Doesn't matter. He's either gonna he's either gonna win, it's gonna be close, 
or he's going to fight me because I'm winning. Well, if he fights you, that's where he's going to take the L, though. Mm, not all the time. Sometimes. Oh, oh Hayden, you losing you losing a, a fighting match with him? No, there the, was the there was the only the only quote unquote match that I ever lost with Brock was when we were playing flag football in the living room. I was like in fifth grade. Brock was like, I don't know, nine years old. Hey, I won. And, and I tackled him. He got up crying to dad, and dad said, well, go do something about it. I'm laying on the ground laughing at him, and he kicks me in the eye, big toe to the eyeball. <laughs> Only time he's ever beat me in a fight. There Man, was one. That's ruthless. He came upstairs, and I was laying on my bed, and he jumped up in my lap. So then I started just waylaying him. And I thought I had him. I had him in a headlock. I was hitting the top of the head. And I was like, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna tap or you're just going to keep letting me hit you? And then he hit me in the ribs and I fell on the ground like weeping. Couldn't breathe. <laughs> Dang, oh, we, missed, we missed out having brothers yeah. and having sisters I, instead, dude. I know. You know, y- your mom seems like she's a saint to have to, to put up with that and referee it. Your dad, too. Um, but, you know, Jim tells me mom's the biggest fan, and I, I could see why. You guys are very successful at what you do. Um, but, you know, what does it mean? You know, I'll, I'll start with, with you, Brock. What does it mean having her be everywhere? Like, um, wherever you're at playing, she's there supporting you, and you know, like, win or lose, she might give you some criticism. She might give you some feedback, but at the end of the day, she's going to love you. And sometimes that's, that's the most important thing. Honestly, win or lose. I mean, I'll give you an example. Easton went 0 for 3 at his game, but we called my mom. We were like, mom, said, mom, we weren't there. How did Easton do? Oh, he did great. He, uh, he went 3 for 3 today. And we were like, so then we called dad and asked dad. Dad was like, no, nah, he went 0 for 3. He had three he had two ground outs and a strikeout. So mom mom said, Well, he was he was trying. He at least hit the ball hard. So in her book, he did he went three for three. And there's just many occasions where she would be in Oxford with Easton and I'd I get the call, hey, we're on the way uh to your game. And they would literally leave straight from Oxford and drive all the way to Atlanta overnight just because I was pitching the next morning. So having her in my corner, it really just means like it's a lot because no, I know no matter what, I'm always going to have somebody there that's going to encourage and do everything they can to put me in the best spot. Yeah, I just – I don't know how she does it because, you know, to go watch the three of y'all, I struggle to be able to just go between both my kids – and their sports. And so with the three of y'all and then, you know, mine, just one of mine plays rec, one plays travel, all three of y'all, you know, we're playing traveling ball and just, man, being able to navigate, uh, you both your parents be able to get out to all the games. Um, so shout out to them for their support and being able to get y'all anywhere and everywhere they, uh, that y'all had to be. But with that, Hayden, you ready to actually talk about some baseball? Let's get after it. All right, man. So you were a part of the building of what I would say is the most prestigious program. And not only DeSoto County, but arguably uh, all of Mississippi these days. So 
Let's talk about it. When you first got there, though, you know, we've talked to some of your teammates. It wasn't what it is now. Talk about what D.C. was like when you first started playing ball there. So I'll have a different story than the rest of the guys that um, that that I played with at DeSoto Central. Uh, most people don't know this, but I actually my high school baseball career started at South Haven, um, played, made the eighth, made the team in eighth grade. Um Pitched a couple varsity games uh, against Tupelo when Tupelo was the powerhouse. Um, gave up my first – got my first strikeout and first home run on back-to-back -back, uh, batters against Christian Brothers when they were the powerhouse that ran everything. Nice. Um, I remember Henry Lartigue walking out to the mound after the strikeout and going, whatever you just threw me, do the same thing. And little eighth grade me was like, yes, sir. Y yes, sir. And he, he goes back behind the plate and I get the strikeout. And I'm like, dude, I got this. And then the next dude, I don't even remember his name, but I'm pretty sure he hit it. We were playing at Lewisburg and I think he, he cleared the fence by a good 40, 50 feet. And Lartigue walked out there and said, Hey, welcome to high school baseball. <laughs> uh, ended up, playing there for for my um, eighth grade year my my ninth grade year and then going into my 10th grade year I moved in with my dad and moved over to DeSoto Central and um, that was the first year coach Monaghan took over um, I remember a little bit about how DeSoto Central was um, they weren't ever really a powerhouse but they were going to give you everything you had and every time we played them I knew it was going to be close um it was going to come down to that last inning um, who wanted it more type deal every single time they were on the field um, come over to, to DeSoto central and, and making the team and kind of being there through coach Monaghan's first couple um, or first real season. Uh, we get in there and it's immediately, you know, we're getting to work. Um, I think that not only me, but there's a couple other guys on our team that were um, were kind of the bigger guys. I don't think I've ever been in as, as good a shape as I was my sophomore year um, when Coach Monian kind of took over and made us start doing the gut check Wednesdays, the, <laughs> um, the JAG Elite trials, stuff like that. I mean, it, it, I would go home and immediately I'm like, okay, I'm taking a shower, going to bed, I'm done for the day. But – you respected it and you respected what we had. And then come season time, like it was like, it wasn't a matter of we have a chance to win and why not us? It was more of, I promise you that we worked harder than any other team in the state, any other team in the nation. If you got on the field with us, you were going to take the L and there was nothing you could say or do about it. Yeah. By my count, I want to say that y'all are, either 11 and 12 or 12 and 13th players we've had that have played for Monaghan and not a single one of y'all, whether on air or off air has a negative thing to say about the guy. I mean, talk about, you know, there's usually at least somebody who doesn't like a coach, but none of you guys, all you guys just praise him and everything he's done. And so, man, uh, shout out to coach Monaghan for, for everything he's done with that program and uh, the inspiration he's been to y'all. But, you know, Coming back to you, one of the things that I've heard, not even just from the guys that you played with, but from from parents and fans that have watched, um, you're known as a guy who will do anything that's asked. You'll play anywhere that's asked. You'll do anything that's asked to be on the team. 
Um, so what's it like, you know, just uh, what makes you that guy that's willing to do whatever it takes? Well, first off, I appreciate the people that are saying that about me. Um, and honestly, I think it's it goes back to, to one thing, and, and that's um, unrivaled commitment. And that's the first thing that, that Coach Monian ever taught us was unrivaled commitment. Um, you are going to be committed to the team above anything else. And I think moving forward into that is one of the reasons that my uh, playing career went as long as it did, because I was a um, I was a first baseman in high school, then get to junior college, play freshman year, first baseman, sophomore year. I'm the right fielder go into summer ball. I play right field, center field and first base. Um, get recruited by Blue Mountain and um, ended up going to Blue Mountain, had a, had a couple of Division One offers that were um, SWAC schools, but kind of wanted to lean towards Blue Mountain because they, they offered my roommate as well. And, you know, we started it together, so we were going to finish it together. That was our motto. And, um, you know, go there and go back to the outfield. You know, I get there and they're like, hey, just so you know, we recruited you as an outfielder because you can hit. Um, but you know, my, my greatest, my greatest story that lives on forever and it'll probably live on in, in coach Monaghan's eyes, um, until he quits coaching is North half the bunt I laid down to <laughs> send us to state. You, and, hey, you just won Daniel's heart over a guy who is willing to lay down the sacrifice bunt is his kind of guy. Well, the, yep. the funny thing about that is, and and the guys on the team will know. So we've got Woogie Lee at third base, the fastest dude in the state of Mississippi. Uh, and Coach Monaghan tells me to come over to him, puts his arm around me and says, hey, you think you can get this bunt down? And I was like, Coach, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And, you know, that is tough because I'm pretty sure the situation at the time was runners on second and third or something like that. So, you know. I wanted to be the guy that hit the double. I wanted to be that guy that, that, you know, drove in the winning run. But at the same time, my dad had always preached to me. I'd always had coaches preach to me, you know, do what's asked and to the best of your ability. So um, dude on the mound throws me a slider and it's like middle of the plate breaks away to the other batter's box. And I lunge for it, trying to bunt it and pulled back really late. But, any umpire should have called it a strike. Umpire says he pulled back ball, and I just look at Monaghan and nod my head like, I got this. So he changes it from safety squeeze to squeeze and lay down the bunt, and it maybe went, I think it hit the dirt and just died because it was mud and probably went three, four feet away from the plate. Woogie slides in. Uh, the rest is history. I think I think it was Dallas come up, hit the walk off, sends us to state. Man, that's what's up. That's ultimate team player. Before, but uh, that's awesome that you know that you're willing to make that sacrifice to make that team play. And it's even better that you said Dallas had to hit because I just only see Dallas pitching these days. So pic picturing Dallas as the as the walk off hitter is great itself. 
But uh, looking at your career average, and, you know, it all makes sense now that you told me you play at South Haven. Max Preps needs to fix their stuff because it only has two years of information for you, um, your, your D.C. years. But it had you at uh, batting 295, uh, 25 runs, 38 RBIs. I mean, absolutely solid hitter. But what stood out to me, you know, we could talk about your hitting. Um, 979 fielding percentage, you know, that that's a stat right there. I mean, so, um, you know, like you said, and that's playing different positions, playing wherever's asked for you. But, you know, what drove your success in in hitting the ball, um, you know, specifically? Was was there a coach that helped you get to where you were or, you know, what was it? So I think the biggest thing, um, which we'll talk about coaching later, but in my, in my playing career, um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I had – I had Keegan Bumpus um, and Brandon Singh. Uh, Brandon Singh, EBC organization coach, played with the Chicago Cubs, used to always come up to South Haven and um, and would, you know, sit there and hit BP with us. And as an eighth grader freshman, you're told, hey, when Brandon gets up, go behind the fence. And we would just sit there and catch his home run balls. And then um, – being the student of the game that I was, I always, always ask questions because, you know, I feel like you can never learn too much in the game of baseball. Um, Keegan Bumpus then helped me, you know, grow into the hitter that I was um, mentally about, he always told us, you know, be a gamer, be the best at what you do and outplay, outwork, outthink anybody that's on the other side of the field. And um, I think carrying that mentality over to hitting is, is what um, made me be successful as a hitter. All right. So let's get into it. We got your success as a hitter, as a fielder. We've talked about your team. We've talked about your coach. It's time to get into it. We're going to start with 2014. All right. So mm-hmm. let's just get, let's just get straight to the championship. Is Oak Grove really that good a team that, that everyone's making them out to be? Were they really that big of a juggernaut? They were they were very talented. Um, you know, you're going out there facing Taylor Braley, who uh, we'll get into him a little bit a little bit later. Gets drafted by the Marlins, just a dude. Can hit, can pitch. He was like he was like our Austin. Um, he was their number one. He was going to bat three hole. Um, you know, he was just going to going to be that guy for him, and. Um, then they had a lefty. I can't think of his name, but uh, he shut us down game one. Um, they beat us seven to two. Um, Austin kind of had one of one of his off days. Um, then we come back and there's a scouting report on day two of um, guy that was pitching for him. He's a head case. So get as loud as you can in the dugout. I mean, we're acting like straight Memphis <laughs> fools in the dugout, just going crazy, yelling whatever comes to our head. Next thing you know, we put up seven in the first inning. Dallas gets pegged. I get pegged. <laughs> like, dude's just all over the place. Um, and then, you know, this is, this is what I, I like to bring up when anybody talks about that 2014 team. Um, they were hands down, you know, we talk about 2015, 2019, that 2014 team was, was nice, dude. They were, they were legit. And, you know, 
nowadays there's a there's a pitching rule and I'm almost positive it's because of this situation there's a pitching rule now where you know a certain amount of pitches puts you on the shelf and you're done for a certain amount of days 2014 we play game two we light that kid up he gets off the mound um and they bring in Taylor Braley because they want to win it in two Taylor Braley throws 123 pitches that day, and that was on a that was on a Thursday. 123 pitches in the seventh inning, still rocking 93, 94. And then we didn't play on Friday because they had graduation. Come back on Saturday, Taylor Braley goes 78 pitches, still pumping 92, 94 in the last inning, and they beat us two to one. Hayden, is it isn't it crazy to think like? Like now that's that doesn't happen because we know the 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 detriment that that can have and the effects. But like, isn't it crazy? Like that wasn't a thing just that long ago. Like, like it's crazy yeah. I mean, to think. yeah, it's it's crazy, and you know, no nothing taken away from Taylor Braley because that dude. I mean, like I said, he's a dude. Um, he was the the top pitcher that that we had ever seen. Um, kept us off balance. Any pitcher that can go two days facing the same exact lineup and throw two hundred pitches and not get hit around very hard, you, you're figuring something out. No matter how hard you throw, you know a fastball eventually is going to get caught up to. Um, but the biggest thing is, man, if if that rule's in effect the 2014 team wins a state championship because they had nobody else left to pitch. They were going to throw a freshman at us. And then 2015 wins, and then it just keeps going from the dynasty continues. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, obviously Daniel's going to get into coaching, but I want to ask you as, as a coach, um, would you, you know, let's say the rule wasn't attacked. Let's say you were allowed to do it. Would you put a player at risk throwing that many pitches in that short amount of time? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I, and I agree with that. And that, and that's why I wondered because, you know, the winning a state title is great and everything, but the, a kid's future is everything. And, you know, I I don't think that any coach that cares about their players would be willing to do that. I don't, I don't think that, you know, they got away with it. They got the title. Apparently, you know, the kid was okay, but that's a, that's a heck of a risk, no doubt. But like you said, you got your vengeance in 2015, uh, you know, Talk us about that team. You know, obviously you you say it wasn't maybe as good as 2014, but nonetheless, you got there and you beat Oak Grove. Talk to me about that team. So so from the beginning, um, we all had a bad taste in our mouth. We we knew that that was kind of taken from us in 2014 by Oak Grove. Um, we sat down as a as a team and looked and saw that Oak Grove would be that team that we faced again. So, you know, little things, but throughout the entire season, our, uh, our pregame song was Payback. It was a song that just said, this is the payback um, from Fast and Furious. So we knew going into it, if you go back and watch our, watch when we won um, <clears throat> in the playoffs, Every team we beat, we we didn't we didn't cheer like it was business. 
Like we knew what we were going for. Um, we poor Keegan and Keegan never lets us live this down. He says it all the time. We would win game one with Austin on the mound, lose by like one to nothing, two to one with Keegan on the mound. And then when Dallas pitched, we're, we're run rolling teams in five innings, 16 to two, 14 to one. Uh, I think we beat Hernando 21 to one and all nine hitters had a home run. Um, I mean, we were just Austin broke their scoreboard, uh, and all the, the 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 Hernando coach could say was, "I'm glad he broke it. I was tired of looking at it because it was 19 to nothing at the time." I think so. I mean, like we beat the crap out of everybody and had one thing in mind, and it was we're going to beat the crap out of Oak Grove. And story goes, we did it. All right. So by all accounts, really, you. You were probably the better team in 2014. You know, it's hindsight. If you played them again, you'd probably win. You got the championship to 15. And I bring that up because the 19 boys bring up that they had back-to-back championships. And and as uh, our other host, Randy, says, you know, when he makes up who's better in the debate, he counts the rings. And it's two to one. And so, really, I look at it, it could easily be two to two. But, you know, we have said that we were going to end this debate on Greg James. But, Hayden, you have waited for this opportunity for a long time. So you are going to be the very last person we let speak on the 2015 versus 2019 debate. Tell me why 2015 is better than 2019. So first off, I want to start this off with Greg James. I love you. I heard him call me out. I love you. Uh, But, you know, the reason – that they're better and, and granted two powerhouse teams I mean y- you can't get a high school team picked better than that um either one but when you go back and look at it the teams that we faced you know they bring up the record they bring up the the rings I already talked about the rings about how uh you add in that pitching rule and we've got two rings um but you go back and look at the records of the teams that we faced. The teams that we faced were 500 plus wins. I think it was like 500 and something to to 200 and something losses. You go back and look at that 2019 team and it was like barely above 300. They were like almost close to 500 teams. Um, Teams with a losing record that we faced, two. One of those was a powerhouse before the season started, lost some guys and uh, ended up having a pretty bad season. The other one was in our conference. Go back and look at them. They played five multiple times. Those five teams, they played multiple times, playing two of them in conference. Our conference, when you look back at it, you know, every game was was competitive, whereas, you know, the the county kind of dropped off after us. You Horn Lake was like Snowden Grove. Uh, hey, hey, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I told you I was at those games. There was there was a game because you said Horn Lake. I wasn't going to tell the story, but I'm going to tell it. And uh, the poor kid from Horn Lake comes out there and starts warming up. He's he's in relief and he's coming in with bases loaded to Blaze Jordan. And I'm watching him as he warms up, and I'm like, oh my god, this is not fixing to happen. 
And that ball is on the roof of the school somewhere. I'm just telling you right now. Grand Slam, easy money, BP. And I thought this – I was like, this isn't even right. Like, just call this game now. And so I know what you're talking about, and I've seen the same thing against the other – like you said, the other uh, teams within the district. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I mean, it was just like – I would have liked to – I think that 2019 team, you put them against our conference – or our county and district and stuff like that. I think they still win the state championship. Don't get me wrong, but they're more hardened because they've, they've played that competition. And another thing that I kind of saw, you you kind of see fall off and I see this as a coach more than, than as a, as a player, our 2015 team, every time we stepped on the field, we got whoever we were playing, we got their ACE. Whereas that 2019 team, people were already chalked. Instead of trying to beat us, they just went ahead and said, oh, that's DeSoto Central and chalked it up as a loss and would throw off. And, I mean, like, I saw it a lot. Like, it was just, you know, like you said, when that kid came in against Blaze, I was at that game. And I even told the people I was sitting around, I was like, get your phones out. This is about to be, like – this and, kid, I, and I recorded it just for the record. I did put it on Facebook. <laughs> and and I'm pretty sure that kid threw however many pitches to Blaze, and then the coach came and pulled him. Like he was like, "Yeah, come on, your your time's up." But uh, no, man. And then and then like I, I told you earlier, I had a this or that for y'all because y'all do it all the time at the end of the end of the show. But you know, this or that game three or three game series. Austin Riley versus Cade Smith, game one. Oh, so we got a pick. You're putting us on the spot. Cade Smith. Cade Smith, yeah. Austin tells, me he, Austin tells me he hates pitching. Cade loves it. He, he may have hated pitching. That doesn't mean he wasn't good oh, at it. Hey, I'm sorry. you are the champ until you're not. Give me Austin Riley. Here, here, here's the problem, Hayden. Here's the problem. I never saw Austin pitch. I've only seen him hit bombs. I watched Cade pitch his whole career. So I got to go with what my eyes have seen. So, all right. So you got one to one. You got, you got Daniel with Austin. I'm with, I'm with Cade. All right. Game two, Keegan James versus Cameron James. Boy, you just stepped, you just lost me again. Cameron James is my favorite player. He can hit, he can pitch. but he give me the guy that that's a, give me the guy that's in pro baseball doing it. Oh, you're gonna stay Jesus. opposite me. Jesus, uh, that's an easy question. And then and then you got game three. Dallas Wolfolk versus a coin flip between either Gabe Moore, my brother, or uh, Max Sims. Well, now I gotta say Dallas. I mean, that's an easy one. And then if you want to bring in – then you want to bring in closers, okay? You got Spencer Price versus Will Logston. Mm. And, and, and the thing is I got a, I got a lasting memory of Will right now. Um, he struggled at Northwest this past year when I watched him. So that doesn't help that defense any at all. Mm. That one hurt. Now I love all of them. I love all of them. I'm just saying. The I'm 2015 just saying. team, we had a squad. Hold on, hold on. Brock, Brock wants to speak his piece. We're, we definitely could have beat you on two. Mm. You, you already admitted that game two, y'all sucked. Just saying. 
You did y'all say it yourself. You did say it yourself. Y'all blew y'all y'all blew every game two game. If so, we if we lost game one, I promise you, game two. There's a reason we blew everybody out in game three. Come on now. I promise you though. Cameron, Keegan. Okay, Cameron. Cameron might not be a pitcher, but he's still gonna. He, he's still a dog. I, I I will I will leave it at this before we move on, Hayden. There there's something to be said about not even giving yourself the opportunity to go to game three, because those that are really good, it's not even an option. They do it in two. Just right. saying. Just You're saying. right. But as, then, as a coach, as as a coach, though, let's transition to that. And and I I, w- I want to get get your take. Obviously. We've been talking D.C. You start your coaching career at DeSoto Central. How old were you, and what was your role at, on the coaching staff there? So kind of how it, how it took place. Um, so we go to um, – I, I was a graduate assistant at Blue Mountain College in the fall. Um, played there, wanted to finish up my degree there. Um, Finished up my degree, talked to the athletic director, Will Lowry, and um, just kind of asked him, like, hey, you know, I want to stay with the baseball team. I want to finish this right, um, but I don't have any more classes to take. You know, is there any way to set this up as, like, a a work study, anything like that? He looked into it for me, said there was nothing he could do. Um, So I prayed about it and um, ended up moving back home. Got a phone call from Horn Lake. Uh, they needed a hitting coach and sat there and talked to them uh, for a while and then um, went in for an interview and they talked to me like I had the job. Um, go to leave and I think a week went by. I, I called, no answer. And then all of a sudden they texted me and said, texted me and said, um, we picked another guy that um, he fits He fits what our school is better. He understands the um, – God, what, did he, what word did he use? Um, he's like, he, under, he understands the, the history at this program a little bit better. And I kind of took that as – you're from DeSoto Central. You're going to ask for too much. You're you're based off a program about winning, and you know they wanted somebody that kind of understood the the history of the the school. So they went with a, a guy from Lake Cormorant. Um, not to talk bad about him or anything like that, but it's just that's how it went. And then um, Mark Monaghan gives me a phone call and says, "Hey, I heard what happened at Horn Lake." come be my hitting coach. And I was like, uh, you know, okay, well, all I'm doing is, is substitute teaching right now. So um, <clears throat> that's how I was getting paid. And then um, with substitute teach, try to stay at DeSoto Central for most of my, um, my teaching jobs. And then would shoot over afterwards to go, uh, go coach the baseball. And, you know, when I got over there, I kept asking Coach Monty, you know, what do you want me to do? You want me to do this? You want me to do that? You want me to do this? And then he, I remember him grabbing my shoulders and saying, you are the hitting coach. 
do what you want to with them. And I was like, okay. So pulled out the iPad, started videotaping hitters, um, would bring them in and uh, hit with them in the cages and just talk to them about their mental approaches and stuff like that. And, you know, we, we did some damage. We, we go up to um, go up to Hoover and win the high school national championship. So um, I feel like I was doing a little bit right, but at the same time, you know, when you've got hitters like Wesley Sides, uh, Chase Honeycutt, and Blaze Jordan in your three, four, five hole, you know, those are three guys that are one already dominant at hitting a baseball, and two are probably the three most coachable people that I've ever been around. So, you know, getting them to understand stuff and and getting them to the talk and stuff like that was was pretty easy. Let me ask you a question since you brought his name up. Is Wesley Sides the nicest human being ever? Oh my gosh. If you're if you're having a bad day, let me give you Wesley Sides' <laughs> phone number because I promise you that he will meet you with a hug and then will tell you whatever you want to hear because he is he is that dude and he is nice. So, you know, I I guess there's a little bit of kind of a reality check that sets in when coach grabs your shoulders and he's like, you know, you're the hitting coach. Like, don't look at me for approval. I'm looking at you to do your thing. Like, was that a sign of like, all right, there's some trust that's put into me to do my job or were you like, Oh crap. Like now the pressure's on, like, this is all on me. Uh, probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, when Coach Monaghan is, is my high school coach growing up, you know, they always say, no matter how old you are, no matter how long ago it was, you're still going to call your coach coach and you're going to respect him like you play for him. Um, I think that was a little bit of it. I was trying to coach a high school team full of kids that needed to see me as I know what I'm talking about. Let's roll with it. But I was the coach that was looking for approval through coach Monaghan because he was my coach. And I think him grabbing, grabbing me and pulling me aside and telling me, you know, whatever you want to do, go. Um, I think that kind of took over to where I took a step back and was like, okay, I'm the hitting coach. I'm no longer a player. I'm the hitting coach. I need to trust what I say. I need to say it with, with a, a bowed chest. And I need to get guys that are going to listen to me because they're not going to listen to me if I sound timid or if I'm looking for approval from Coach Monaghan. They're just going to listen to Coach Monaghan. So what, so what is it like? Me when, was great. So what is it like when you have this epiphany and, and now you look at the other coin and you're like, man, I'm at my alma mater and I'm coaching my brother. <laughs> like there's got to be some sense of like pride and some sense of like, man, this is pretty damn cool. Like, I get to do this. Oh, I can't even lie to you, man. The first – so practices were, were were baseball practices. There was nothing special about it. Um, kind of just going through the motions with the hitters, you know, doing the, what I love. Um, I think it, the first time it hit me was sitting in the coach's office before we played our first home game and putting on my uniform again. And because, you know, all high school coaches wear the pants, the, the BP top. 
um, I put on my pants and I looked in the mirror and I, I got I got a little teary eyed and Monaghan walked up to me and put his arm around me and was like, you ready, dude? And I was like, man, I'm just I, I don't know what to say. And then I'm pretty sure that same game brought more tears to my eyes because it was my first coaching first actual coaching job win. And I'm pretty sure Brock was on the mound or Brock came in to close after Cade or something like that. And like the best seat in the house, you know, people <coughs> are always like the daddy ball or, Oh, well, you know, that's his, that's the coach's brother, stuff like that, man. The best seat in the house is right there at the front of the dugout when, when you got your brother on the mound. And I think the, the biggest thing that anybody who's been around us will say, Brock pitches better when I'm in that dugout. He'll even he'll even admit to it. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine there's a little bit of of comfort that comes with having a familiar face, but also there's a fire that I think you as a brother you can light that nobody else can light. Like you, you know what to say to get it going. You know what to say to turn the switch on, um, but you also know what to say to to reel it back in when it needs to be reeled back in. Um, it, it sounds to me like you had an incredible amount of success as DC. You had a a great chance to build a resume with your your coaching there, but you didn't stay there long at because you then went on to Bruton Parker College. How did that job come about? Um, and, and talk to me a little bit about your time there. So going, going into that, um, that was the, the year that COVID sh shut us down. Um, I talked to Monaghan and he said, man, what's your dream? And, um, you know, I told him, you know, my dream is to is to coach collegiate ball and and eventually professional ball. And he said, well, you, you know, you need to look into it. So I, I go searching uh, Skipper's Dugout on Twitter, ABCA websites, Indeed, everything looking for for job postings for a college coach. And all of a sudden I see this one for Bruton Parker. Um, I'd played against them at Blue Mountain because they're in the same same conference, um, and filled out application for them, sent it in, and then like I want to say two or three weeks later, um, the coach tweeted out again that he was looking for uh, an assistant coach. So I DM'd him and was like, hey, coach, um, just wanted to see if y'all were still interested in, in uh, an assistant coach. I've already sent in my resume, but here it is again. And the coach said, Coach Aaron Larson gave me my first real coaching job in college. Um, he said, you know why I picked you? Because not many people would reach back out. Most people would have just left it as I sent in my resume if they reach out to me. You know, it is what it is. Um, went, ended up going there, Mount Vernon, Georgia, 13 hours away from home. Uh, but, you know, it was a grind. And I think that the biggest thing that you can learn in coaching is 
the guys you see on TV and people want to want to say, you know, well, I would I would have done this. I would have done that. Or they don't know what they're doing. I promise you they do. They've they've all been through it. You can go back and look at any Division One SEC coach. They they've been a volley somewhere. Um, they've gotten paid little to nothing for coaching at some school, um, and it's it's a grind. And it's to weed out those coaches of okay, who really wants to be here and who's just here for the I'm a baseball coach kind of job title. So you, you, you ended up then moving from there and where you're at currently at Jackson State. You know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, Jackson State. It looked like you guys had a pretty successful fall, 16 games, 12 and four, 436 batting average, 20 home runs as a team, uh, 33 doubles, five triples. I mean, uh, some good wins. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about your time there and, and, where you see yourself, you know, long-term, if, if this pans out the way that you, you're hoping it does. So the, to, to get to how, how dominant the offense was this fall at Jackson state, um, I got to bring up a guy that, or two guys actually, that really taught me everything there is to know. Um, Chase Reeves at Blue Mountain, um, challenged me daily, changed mostly everything I know about hitting. And I can't, I can't say that me and him didn't, you know, have knockout drag outs arguments in the, the hitting facility about hitting and stuff like that. Um, I would go over to his house. We'd talk about it. Um, just sit there and, you know, hitting is a conversation. So having that conversation with him and, and being able to do that. And then going over to, to Bruton Parker, Ryan Harris. I, I love that dude. Um, I think that the, the biggest thing that I could do there was, although I was a, an assistant coach, the biggest thing I could do was sit back and listen. Um, he taught me so much about just how to, to break down hitter swings, how to look at video and kind of just, pick it apart and understand what needs to be done and, and the um, kinematic sequence to getting hitters to, to understand that the feel of what we're doing in a drill can relate to the games. Um, he taught me so much and for him to kind of put me under his wing and, and lead me through all of that and mentor me was, was huge to me, but going to Jackson state, um, I just got – I got a bunch of coachable guys, man, guys that, you know, I can tell them to stand on their head and swing for a drill and they're going to do it, no questions asked. Um, and when you have guys like that that are, that are willing to learn and willing to, to change everything that they know about in the swing um, or to get their swing broken down, especially in the fall with it being a time where you're going into games um, – that mostly the four-year colleges are at because they're not playing. And, you know, when you go into the spring, all they have is video. But the only time they're going to get their eyes on you is in the fall. Um, so for hitters to understand and break down their swings during that time and be coachable enough to succeed through all of that just speaks 
um, so much about the type of kids that they are. And I think that's the big thing at Jackson State is, you know, we want to we want to develop you as a player as much as we can. But we also want to develop you as a person and getting those people that the right guys to come into our program and stuff like that, that we can people develop and player develop. I mean, it, it all speaks for itself at the end. Yeah. So, you know, it, it sounds like you found your niche with coaching and the. The the trajectory of, of where you're headed, you're in the right direction. Um, but I, I got to ask because I, I, I was a player, played, you know, through college, ended up having the opportunity to coach high school, got an opportunity to coach at the University of Tampa, um, won a national championship there coaching. And, and I'll say this for myself, I love playing, but I think coaching meant way more to me than playing. And I, I had a more of a passion and love for coaching. And I think it's because you get to see people struggle and then work so hard and then succeed. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you, what do you, what do you enjoy more playing or coaching? Mm. That's tough, man. Uh, I think if, if you were to ask me, you know, what's the, the thing that makes me the happiest or just kind of fills me up inside um, would be when you see a guy sit there and be really, really coachable and um, work so hard and then everything click and he, he sees that success. Um, I saw it a lot with my brothers kind of helping them out. Um, for, for instance, you know, one time this fall, um, I'll, I'll name drop Michael Bell, um, we're playing Itawamba and he actually started at Itawamba, tried out for the team, um, and was told that, you know, he wasn't good enough and didn't make that Itawamba team. I think he went to like a walk-on trial or something like that. Um, all of a sudden I get to Jackson state, he's there and kids, the hardest working guy I know um, has two jobs outside of going to class just to, to help him and his sister pay the bills. Um, just hard worker, man. And then we get up against Itawamba and we're playing at Millington and dude hits one of the trees. And I think when he was rounding third, I hit him with the biggest chest bump that I think I've ever hit anybody with. Um, and just that success, I, I feel like watching people succeed that I know their I know their journey is better to me as a coach than watching my own success as a player. Yeah, no doubt. I definitely agree with that. And what's funny about the story you told, there's been so many guys that I've either talked to or we've had on here that, you know, they were told that maybe they weren't good enough or they didn't make a team, but they kept believing in themselves or someone helped kept pushing them to believe and they took other opportunities and some of the success stories. I mean, since you brought up, you know, Itawamba, like, you know, Houston Harding didn't even get an offer from anywhere. And then, you know, Itawamba gives them, you know, the only offer and he goes there. And then look what dude did, you know, goes to Mississippi state, gets a national championship and now is in the angels organization. So like these guys, 
should never let anyone tell them they're not good enough. And there's always going to be a coach somewhere that's going to believe in you, especially like you said about him, if he puts in the effort, because that you can't teach effort. And if you got somebody with effort, you can work with them. Like you said, coachable. So um, that's, that's definitely a cool story. And I love that. But Brock, my man, I know you're asleep probably over there. Now it's your turn. We got done with the JV and Hayden. It's time to move to varsity. You know what I'm saying? We had to let him go first. You know how, you, you know how that works. But let's start with talking about, before we get into D.C., you know, we had Ed Easley on here, and I know that your brother has coached at, uh, at EBC as well. You know, talk to me about what EBC and Travel Ball has done for you in your development. Uh, I think it really means the world because if I was to call Ed Easley right now, he'd answer the phone and be like, hey, what's up, bud? What do you need me to do? And it goes for all the coaches there. My first year there, I had Tommy Foster. He basically, same way, takes me on a regular basis, checking in. It's just I went from Tommy Foster to Jeff Wright and Taylor Morton, and those those three guys I could call, text, anytime, any place, and whatever I need, they're going to be there. And it's just a good organization because every coach there is like that. And – the big thing to me is, is they would rather put their name out on the line for us players and make us look better, even if it means that something could go wrong for them. And for me, when I went, when I first went to EBC, I didn't have an offer. I didn't have anybody looking at me. I went to two showcases with them and phone started blowing up ed would text me hey i'm talking to these people i'm talking to these people for you and so i kept getting i kept getting um juco scholarships and offers and everything like that and i was just like ed i feel like i can get i, I can get better and what's what do i need to do and so he talked to some people they told me he told me he got back with me and let me know what i needed to do and I started working, and I got my first D1 offer. And me and Ed talked about it, and he was like, I think you need to hold off. Because I was excited. I was like, you know, first D1 offer, the first school that showed interest in me, you know, I'm like, I feel like that's just the right thing to do is go there because they were the first that fell in love with me. And he was like, look, you need to wait, you need to wait. And – I was sitting in my room and my both my parents were at my little brother's uh, basketball practice and Ed calls me and he's just excited and like you can hear in his voice that he was happy. And I was like, what's going on, coach? And he said, within 30 minutes, you're going to get a phone call from Jake Gotra. And I was like, like, not lying. <laughs> Jumped around, jumped up out of my bed, started running around the house. And I was, I just couldn't thank him enough. And turns out I get a phone call and Mississippi State offers me. And from then on, everything that Ed's done for me, my family, it's just an unbelievable. Him and his guys are just a great group of guys to be a part of. And if I could go back, I'd choose EBC any day of the week. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the story that I've heard. You know, we had Brady and uh, Braden on here saying the same thing. But the reason I asked you specifically about ABC is not only I know what it's done for your development, but one of the very first conversations I ever had with Ed when he was listing off guys that were his studs, uh, you were in that first initial listing of guys. So, um, you know, he decided to list you off as one of his guys. And so that just says how much he believed in you and uh, knew a bright future you had. So, you know, moving from EBC to, to DeSoto Central, um, you know, man, you got a 389 batting average career, you know, 24 runs, 37 RBIs, four homers. We, you know, a lot of people talk about your pitching, but, you know, I've seen you play a lot and you're not just a pitcher. You're definitely a hitter. Um, talk to me about, um, you know, what you feel like you've done well and talk to me about what you need to improve on coming into this senior season as far as your hitting. Um, hitting wise. So I know obviously you've seen the stats, but I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna leave it out there. I'm I mean, I'm not gonna let it hide. I had as many strikeouts as I did hits, like identical. Uh I think I ended the year with thirty-eight hits and I'm pretty sure I had either it was either thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, somewhere around there strikeouts. And my biggest thing is I get in a groove of being very selective and if I don't get my pitch then I'm not gonna swing but in order for me to improve I got to be able to cut down the strikeouts and just put the ball in play more because I mean any hitting coach will tell you you can't do anything if you're going back to the dugout you're not gonna get can't put the ball in the play and unless you make if you can more, the more you put the ball into play, the better chances you are of becoming a better hitter. Well, Brock, since you're a humble cat, man, and you brought it up, you know, I, I hated doing it, man. I, I recorded those that Lewisburg series, and man, you, you know, I was recording the strikeouts specifically, and uh, right. you 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 were on the bad end of three of them. Um, but I want I want you to I want you to continue in that humility, and I want to, I want you to give some praise. Tell me what is it because all three were by Brady Tiger. What was it about what he was throwing that, that had you, you know, you know, confused, so to I, speak? I, I think it was the fact that I was a three-hole hitter in all three games. And game one, he came out. And the first strikeout against him was kind of brutal. I ch- uh, He threw a fastball in, and I took it. I was like, okay, this is legit. Like, I got to get ready. And so then uh, he went slider, ball, and fastball away. I fouled it off. And then he went fastball up. And I chucks, I like, I did a little check swing, strikeout. And then from like going back to the dugout, I, I wasn't even mad about it. I was just like, all right, he got the best of me that, that at bat. Next to bat, I got to like dig in. And I mean, it was just – it was a fight. I mean, it wasn't like I went up there, one, two, three, back to the dugout. I mean, I was at least touching pitches. And I think, to me, it wasn't the fact that he threw as hard as he did. It was the fact that he threw as hard as he did and all the, like, arm side movement that he had. Balls were just – I'd think they'd be in, about to hit me. And his his two-seam sinker, it'd sink right back into the zone. And for me, I really hadn't faced an arm like that 
and I don't know how long. Like, I faced Hunter Elliott, and he's a good dude. He's one of the top guys, like, was the top guy, him and Brady. But for me, it was just there was something about it that I could see it and I could hit it. And But Brady, it was just – it was, like, sneaky with movement. And I think that was the biggest struggle for me was – and Brady, Brady had told me before we started, he's like, I'm not giving you. He said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend anything. He said, You're gonna have to earn it. And he sure enough fed fastballs and made me earn an off speed at a chance to get a hold of a breaking ball. Yeah, and you know, you you learn and and I love that y'all actually, you know, had that competitive fire and y'all talked to each other. You know, there was a game though, and I actually got to call it with your dad, and that was against um um is it Jackson Central, correct? Uh, wait, Jackson Prep. Jack, Jackson Prep. My bad. Um, Jackson Prep, and you were going against uh, you were going against Mason Nichols, yeah. and if I'm not mistaken, um, you got the rally going with with your with your hit. If I'm not mistaken, you were the first one to really get to him and open that game up. If I'm not mistaken, um, right. And so I've seen what you can do against – I mean, you're talking about a guy who who's a D1 guy right now because you were talking about Hunter Elliott and we're talking about Brady Tiger. But, I, but I've seen you hit against one of the top pitchers, and, and I've seen you in other games. So, I mean, like you said, you got to cut down on the strikeouts, but I have seen what you do. I've seen the home run videos. You know, Micah sends me them ones that you, you hit, so you got some you got some power behind your bat. And, hey, your dad, your dad loves to, bra- to brag on you. So I know what you can do, um, and I expect, you know – this year for you to progress but as far as what everybody loves to talk about with you is is the pitching and we got you know eight and three 3.2 era 72 k's uh to 26 walks over 54 innings um you know so how do you feel about your success on the mound and just like i asked you about hitting what's the one thing that you really need to do to improve this season the boy your um, dog thing see if you ask me Last year, I feel like I had a good year, but it wasn't my best year. Now, I did get knocked around a couple times. We went um, we went down to Biloxi, and I don't remember the team that we played. I don't remember their name, but I just couldn't get anything to work, couldn't get anything to get over. Everything I threw over the plate, they they'd knocked around. And from that game forward, that was that was my third loss of the year. And from that game forward, it was just like I I, I took like I had to lock in, and my, our, my the next game I threw in was the one against Jackson Prep, and it was just um it was just lights out from that point on, and so you kind of needed to be punched in the mouth, huh? Yeah, that that was the like holy crap, I gotta wake up. And to me, going into this year, it's just because, I, I mean, I, it wasn't that I got rattled a lot because, I mean, to me, I feel like I keep my composure very well. It, But I just feel like if I can cut down on – I would get into like 0-2, counts, and, I, and I'd end up giving up a hit or – giving up like a walk and I think for me it's just being able to finish at bat like finish at bats 
Because, like, I go to Jacob Billingsley, and he always – he had he used to talk, like, not really talk crap, but, like, mess with me about it, about going one-two and then giving up a hit or going one-two and giving up a walk. And he was like, in order to play at the next level, you're going to have to finish those. Like, your pitch has got to be able to finish them. Like, you can't just throw a ball, throw a fastball away and expect them to swing through it. Like, you got to be able to mix and do everything you can to finish a count. And I feel like that's the biggest focus for me is being able to really finish A-Bs. Daniel, with him bringing up Billingsley, you know, we, we've talked to him so many times and we've talked to people underneath him. Does that make you feel that much more confident in Brock based on the foundation you know about him, but then you know that he's working out with Billingsley? Of course. I mean, when there's, there's no surprise, like there's more to baseball and being an elite level than just the baseball part. So like when you say like, he's surrounding himself with guys like Billingsley. Like it it just makes sense. Like no wonder why he's achieving what he's achieving is because a he's putting hard work in off the field, but then when he's on the field, he's being coachable. He's getting after it. He's locking in, he's laser focused. But I mean, I, I can only imagine that being a part of that DC like family, you get to be around some pretty big names a lot. Right. So let me ask you this, Hayden. Let me bring you into the mix for for a question, real quick. What's what's the one thing you want to see your brother improve upon the most? You as a coach now, what what do you what do you see? I think the biggest thing with him is understanding, and this is this becomes an argument at our house uh, because I see it from a coaching standpoint. Brock sees it from a player standpoint, and then Dad sees it from the parent standpoint. And most of the time, when it comes to anything baseball-related, they get mad when I give the coaching answer. (laughs) But um, I think the biggest thing with that Brock should should, um, work on, or I I know he's going to improve on it, but the, the fact of trusting his stuff. He's got the confidence. He's got the composure. But, um, when it comes to pitching, he's always like, what's my velo? What's my velo? What's my velo? And, and dad's on him 24 seven about he topped out one time at 89 and, and dad was like, well, 89 ain't going to work in the SEC. You got You got to throw 90 up. You got to throw 90 up. And, and while that's, while that's the case, um, I think you see a lot of, a lot of college guys struggle that were, throwing hard in high school um you know i have seen it multiple times where a guy that's 93 94 in high school comes in to a fall at mississippi state and is giving up nothing but doubles and home runs Mm -hmm. because they're used to blowing everything past high school hitters but those guys like for instance spencer he's one of my best friends um he was like 84, 85, maybe 86 in high school. Goes to Meridian, gets some velo behind it. But because he didn't have that velo, you had to learn how to pitch. You had to learn how to spot everything up. You had to throw all four 
all three to four pitches for strikes um, at any given time. And I think him going to Meridian uh, helps him do that, him taking the Juco route and learning how to how to pitch and just having that pitchability going into the Division One program. Then he gets in the weight room, uh, legs get bigger. I think he gets up to 91, 92, I believe, and is dicing people because he had – he had the the command, and then when you add velo with command, you can be unhittable. I mean, we've seen that with with anyone from uh, Shohei Otani, um, Landon Sims, um, Sarantola, Eric Sarantola when he was in the zone. I mean, unhittable because command and velo go together. So I, I want to see that he's he's got the confidence and everything like that. I want to see the command keep uh, continue to go up and not worry about the velo. Yeah, I got you. So, Brock, this season, man, y'all are stacked. You know, Lofton, Coach, Brassfield, the list goes on. I could, I could go through it all, obviously, um, you being one of the leaders of the team. Um, I mean, the expectations, is it is it state title all the way? Definitely. Um, we had a guest speaker come. And he asked me and one of my friends, Tyler Pearson, to come up to the front. And he was like, look at the, look at your team. And then I was like, so me and him, like, turned around, looked at our guys, and they said, do you believe in a state championship? And I said, without a shadow of a doubt, I know that these guys, like, this year we're bringing home a ring. I don't care who steps in the way. I don't care who it is. I, I feel like my team can take them down. Yeah, and I believe that looking at your team and, and – Seeing what y'all did last year, and you got guys who are developing, getting older. You got a, you got a lot of seniority on that team. Um, let me ask you: Is there any pressure to win titles? When we've talked about DC and, and the titles they've won, and how it's become this kind of prestigious, uh, you know, school, so to speak. You know, is there any pressure to it, or is it, man, you just go out and play your game? Um, it's not that there's a pressure to me. It's just like down deep inside is something that I want to give freshmen because I won my first first championship when I was a freshman. And it's it gives you a feeling of just hunger and wanting to get after it. And I feel like if I have the chance, if I have the opportunity to give that to the younger guys, then it means the world to me because it's going to not only is it a good feeling for me, but – it just gives everybody below me something to look look up to and strive for when I when I am gone. Yeah, definitely. So this is the last question, then I'm gonna let Daniel play a game for you. You know, you talked about Mississippi State. You know, you recently just signed your letter officially. But I gotta ask you, man, how cool is it that you're going to not only the team that you know you root for, but a team that just won a national championship? What's the feel like now that you're going there? Um it honestly just makes it 10 times better and it makes me like more anxious to get there because like I want to like one of the kids in my class, Aiden Fancher, he used to, we have a group chat and he was like, we're going to be the first ones. Well, now we, well, now we can't be the first ones, but we want to be, we want like my class and everybody that's going to be there. Like we want to bring another one. It's like, just cause, just cause it's one doesn't mean anything like, we got to get more. Y'all might be going for the third one if, you know, everything goes well this year. That is true. That is true. 
it does look like it's going to be a good year and I am extremely excited and I can't thank everybody enough who helped me get there with it being anybody from a coach in the past that I might have played with for a tournament that said something to me anything like that to I did. I worked out at EOP. I did work out at EOP, and John and Mandy, they did everything in the world for me. Got me to where I needed to be strength-wise and mentally. It got, like, just put me in a good place. And then I did transfer to Jacob for really the pitching side of things and getting more, like, flexible and mobility and working on everything pitching-wise. So it just means the world to me that, everybody put their time and effort into me and I just want to, you know, get there and basically do everything I can to give back to them for all they put in for me. Man, that's uh, quite a, quite a season. That's that I think that you guys are in store for, but guys, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Let's, let's play a game. We, we get to have fun with all our guests before we, we cut them loose and, you guys get to be a part of it together. We're going to play a game called This or That. It's very simple. I give you two options. All you have to do is pick one option or the other. You can't say both, and you can't say neither. Those are the only two rules. You guys good to play? Got it. All right, so I'll phrase the question, but every question, uh, Brock, we'll start with you to answer every question first, followed by Hayden. So here we go. Question number one. Would you rather never wait in a line again, or would you rather see no more red lights when you're driving? Brock, mm. what do you got? Let's see. When I'm driving, I want to get there, and most of the time, Hayden knows I'm probably going to leave 10 minutes. If I got 10 minutes to be there, I'm probably going to leave it. If I say I got to be there at 9, I'm probably going to leave at 8.45, so – no red lights would be a go for me. All right. Hayden, what do you got? No line or no red light? I'm going to say not waiting in line. I don't, I don't really care about um, – I'm, I'm pretty good at leaving the house in time to, to get wherever I got to go um, to the point where I probably drive Brock crazy when I was ri- driving him around where Brock says if he's got to be there at 9, he's leaving at 8.45. If we got to be there at nine, at eight o'clock, I'm checking the, <laughs> I, I'm I'm checking to see you know how's traffic, how stuff like that. Do we need to leave by eight eight fifteen eight thirty? And you know I'm ready to go, and Brock's just getting in the shower. So, you know I don't I don't really care about the the red lights. You know I, I like driving around. I like being in the in the car. It gives me some time to myself. But you meet some some crazy people when you're sitting and standing in line somewhere, whether it's in front of you or behind you. And, and it's, everybody gets put in a bad mood when you're waiting in line. Absolutely. All right. Is, is a hot dog, a sandwich? Yes or no? Brock. Nope. Hey, what do you think? Heck no. All right. What about a, a hamburger? Is a burger a sandwich, Brock? Yes. Hayden. Yes, I would say a burger is a sandwich over a hot dog being a sandwich. So they're both on buns, but one is a sandwich and one is not. Right. Right. Okay. All right. 
I feel you. I, I'm, but, I'm in well, agree. I'm in agreement. Well, Austin Riley, the man, the myth, the legend, says it has to have two pieces of sandwich bread to be a sandwich. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Wait. So if you put, does that mean if you put the hot dog in the hot dog bun, but the bun rips, does it then become a sandwich? That's the question. That's a big question. Great question. Um, or what if you put a hot dog on two pieces of regular bread? Is it a sandwich then? It's, it's, it's a tough road we travel. I know. <laughs> now, now, now we're going down the rabbit hole. Right so uh, next question. Would, what gets you further in life? Being funny or being smart? Brock, what gets you further in life? Being funny or being smart? Being smart because funny can only get you so far and sooner or later sooner or later it's gonna have to get serious and if you're just gonna be funny all the time then i mean can't really get things done sometimes and i feel like the smarter you like if you're smart and you can you're gonna be more successful than somebody who's just funny hayden what do you think being funny gets you friends being smart gets you success so I, I believe that, you know, if you're trying to be successful, then you need to be as smart as, as possible. And being smart means um, always considering yourself a student, not the teacher. Very true. I will say that sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. So um, who you know, I, who you know gets you there, what you know keeps you there. All right. I like that. I like that. I, I, I can buy into that. All right. Next question. Would you rather spend 10 years in a coma or five years in jail? 10 years in a coma or five years in jail? Uh, me, I'm going five years in jail because <laughs> if I make it out, it's going to be one good story. <laughs> hey, I'm what do you got? You never know with the stories these days. I mean, if you make it out of five years in jail, you're definitely going to have some good stories to tell your family. Even that age where, you know, kids are eventually going to start getting into the picture. And I think if if my wife was to get pregnant right now and I spent 10 years in a coma, I wouldn't know what to do with myself because that's that's just absurd. I'd probably have to lead towards five years of jail time. At least you can. Get, at least there's a chance of you getting out early due to good behavior. In a hey, coma, you're you in it. Calls, you get phone calls. You can still talk to them. Yeah, and you can look, tell them about situation if you're getting one. Look, look, guys, you're 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 both are trying to convince yourself into this false sense of of reality of jail you're thinking about the time and it being such a short amount of time but you're forgetting there's a lot of stuff that can happen in five <laughs> years in jail a lot and i'll be the first one to tell you i don't want to spend a day in jail much less five years hey we had give a me- top we had a top 10 bellator fighter come on here and say give me the nap i'm not going to jail because i've been there yeah. i'd rather give me that nap for 10 years and when i wake up i'll figure it all out i don't want to be in jail for five years no <laughs> way no how no sir I, I, i'll i'll take the nap all day long 
All right, guys. So I, the last question, this is a question that we ask all of our guests the first time that they're on the show. Um, and it's really a money or friends worded question. So um, Hayden, I'll, I'll first, you know, I'll change it up. I'll start with you. What's your favorite baseball team, pro baseball team? St. Louis Cardinals. All right. Yeah. So you, you, you said, I, I can get with that too. Um, you said that your dream is to coach pro baseball. So let's say today the Cardinals offered you the manager position or a coaching position. It's the dream position for your favorite team. All right. But the only caveat is that all of your friends, you can never talk to again. You can have that position or you can continue the same position with the same pay, but keep your friends. Which one are you choosing? Mm. I'm a big family guy, man. Like, like I've always been, been a family guy. And if, if you ask anybody that knows me, um, my family is everything. It's one of the reasons why I chose Jackson State over Bruton Parker. Was, well, he didn't say you had to cut your family loose. He said your friends. Yeah, but friends, friends is family, dude. Friends <laughs> are family. Okay. So, you know, especially over the, the past couple of years, my friends have really shown out and, and how they've helped. And, man, I don't think I could – God, that's like selling your soul to the devil, man. <laughs> well, you, you thought these questions were easy? I'm I'm gonna have to choose friends. At least at least my friends can give me a, a chance to to get back there. Uh, as as much as I don't agree with it, I can I can respect it. I can respect the answer. All right, Brock. Similar type question. All right. First round pick in the major league draft, and you have to lose all your friends. Mm. Or you get the last pick in the draft and you get to keep your friends. The first pick of the first round, not just first round, but first, yeah. pick. first pick overall in the draft, no friends or last pick in the last round. You get to keep all your friends. Those are the only two options. And before you choose one, let me, let me just give you this little caveat. The difference between those two picks this year was about $8 million. <laughs> so which which one are you choosing well i'm in the same boat as hayden you can't you like you can't uh, can't pay for friendship I mean, man them dudes that were watching that tv over there i would have threw them under the bus so fast right here man uh, ain't even they ain't even in here no more it's just man. me I, but, bet you, um, I bet you Noah would have took first pick of the first round. See, <laughs> my philosophy is if I'm first round, first pick, still doesn't mean I can still go in the first day and get cut. If I'm last round, first pick, I can still – if I'm last round, last pick, I'm still same – I'm in the same boat as the first rounder. Uh, yeah, first rounder might have more money, but, heck, I'm going to be a civil engineer. I'll make that money someday. Oh, I like that answer. It's a decent answer. It's not the one that I would choose, but he is, is, he is, is lying it, to I, you guys. He I, I drop me. For, he won't drop me for nothing. That's that's not true. I would drop him <laughs> in a second. 
I'd be the host of not in off the bench. It would be in starting. Not <laughs> you ain't know the name of your Yeah, I, I don't even need a name. I could pay for a new name. <laughs> no, I guys, anything that y'all you know, Hayden, I'll start with you. Anything you want to plug or promote, or where people can can follow Jackson State or follow your coaching. Uh. Jackson State baseball is just at JSCC underscore baseball. Um, uh, I would like to promote um, Easley Baseball Club, you know, giving me my my first summer ball, um, my first head coach summer ball team. Um, love it. Love what I do with it. Love being head of player development. Um, Juco Bandits, anybody that's that's a high school player kind of thinking about whether or not you need to go JUCO or not do it. It'll be the best years of your life. If you don't go on and play baseball after that, or don't go on and play the sport that you're playing after that at a four year, you'll at least have two years of some dang good stories to tell people because the JUCO bandit life is, is completely different than any other place you can go. And, um, Shout out to the big family I got, man, just always supporting me, um, going through tough times, whether it be being 13 hours away at Bruton Parker, living the dream, or, um, you know, my dad doesn't get enough credit, but that man drove, pulled an all-nighter to watch Brock play in the playoffs after the game, drove from he drove from Nesbitt to Tupelo, then drove from Tupelo to Mount Vernon, Georgia, to pick me up, pack up everything I had, put it in the back of a trailer, and drive all the way back home. So hats off to that man. Man, that's, that's love right there. All right, Brock, what do you got? Anything you want to plug or promote? Any, any place that people can follow you? Um, Not really. I don't promote anything really but I just want to say if you're looking for a summer ball team summer ball organization definitely go to easily easily um two yeah, great plug, plug Billingsley man what you talking about look 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 I'm about to <coughs> if you ever need strength conditioning anything like that I've, I've been with two great programs ELP and base performance both of those guys will do anything they want anything you ask them for um both of them are really really good dudes and like Hayden said family just can't there's nothing better they're uh like you said dad mom they'd give anything shirt off their back for all three of us to do what we love and what we enjoy and it means the world to me and Hayden Absolutely. I mean, you know, not to, you know, we, we, we were joking earlier about the money or friends thing, but you, you guys are hitting the nail on the head, like the family and the friend support and that community having that strong and, and, and being behind you, especially, you know, when you're chasing something that you're so passionate about, like it, it makes all the difference in the world. And guys, I, I appreciate y'all coming on. If there's anything that we can do to help, get your name out there, promote anything that you guys got going on. Um, or if you want to come back and, and, and we'll just wrap a little bit about your season this past year and, and 
what you got in the future, let us know. We'd be more than happy to. Bring I want you him back to bring. He, I want him to bring uh, Bradley back in and talk about that state championship when they get it done. Definitely, definitely, we'll be back on here talking about the state championship. Hey, hey, the plan is a state championship from Brock and a conference championship from us, and then we can come back and have a, have a good talk about it. Look at them That's trying to compete. Right, with, look at them trying to compete with Cam and Austin with double championship. Hey, roll Jays, baby, roll Jays. That's Come right. On. All right, that's Braden or that's Brock and Hayden Tapper. Y'all got me thinking about Brady Tiger and Braden Sanders and Bradens and Brady's. God, <laughs> I mean it's crazy. But guys, I, I appreciate you. We'll have you back on for sure because I, I, what I do know is that you're driven, you're motivated, and the desire to win is there. And you know, when you have that, you can't go wrong. So. Um, we're definitely going to have you guys back on. If you like hearing Brock and Hayden Tapper's story or you just like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, and feedback is always welcome. We'll see everyone next week. we got episode 18 where we're going to be talking Team Canada Lacrosse, baby, with Lander University star Nolan Oakley. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong bodies, sharp minds, great and grind all the time. We're out.